All right, guys, welcome to this episode of the Ace of Spada podcast. Um, this guest is one of the probably best podcasters in the game. Um, every single guest I've had that's big time, like Cody McBroom, uh, Jason Phillips, Chase Tuning, a lot of these guys have all been on their show. Um, I'm very pleased to welcome Adam Schaefer from Mind Pump Radio. Uh, you guys, all I could say is kind of just thanks so much for coming on. Uh, they are probably the best fitness in general podcasts in the world. Uh, over a thousand episodes. Hopefully I'll get there one day. I have a long way. I'm at like even right now, I think I just released episode 28. So <laughs> I got a long way to go. But Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, man. It's a hell of an introduction and uh, all good friends of mine that you just listed. I like uh, all those guys a lot. All real good. In fact, I think Cody was at our very first ever live um, tra train the trainer event that we did. That was the first time I met him. Hit it off big time uh, with Jason when we first met and uh, absolutely love Chase, too. So all real good people, all good guys. And uh, remaining fact, I was actually talking to two of those three guys today via text. So we, we communicate quite a bit. All good people in the space. Yeah, I try to I try to keep in contact with as many of those guys as possible because those are the people I want to surround my like they those are the guys I want to surround myself with. Um, me and actually Brad Jensen's probably the one that I've been most guy. excited. Um, he I am actually going on his show. I will have recorded the episode already, so it's kind of gonna be my first guest appearance on a podcast, which is pretty interesting. <laughs> Um, but let's just kind of just give a quick introduction to yourself, how you guys, let's get into your journey real quick, kind of sum it up and then we'll get into a lot of the juicier topics that we were just talking about before yeah. we started recording. Yeah. Um, how'd you guys create mind pump and how did you even get involved with all that? So I'm, I'm going to give you the short version cause it's really, a, yep. it is a long story. I mean, the four of us, well, three of the four of us have been in the fitness space uh, for two decades. Justin, Sal, and myself have been uh, personal trainers, gym owners, boot camp operators, and other businesses related to fitness uh, for two decades. So we've been around uh, this space for a very long time, and Doug was actually a client of Sal's about, God, it's been already seven, eight years, maybe more, Doug, that the, he worked with Sal. And they got really close um, when he was training him. And and Doug used to always kind of like you'd be in Sal's ear like, hey, man, if you ever want to do like a, like a digital program or go virtual, I think you would be great at it. And Sal, uh, like me, is, um, you know, not tech savvy at all. So he was like, cool, <laughs> this, this guy could help me. That's not my strength. And it's great, too, because that's kind of similar to the relationship that I have with Justin is Justin. Actually, I hired Justin straight out of college over 10 years ago. He worked for me. And uh, when I first hired him, I actually did not think he was going to be that great of a trainer. Uh, <laughs> and the reason why I didn't think I hired him and another guy at the same time. And I and I and he, he gets pissed every time I tell this story because he, he makes him feel bad. But I think it's a good story because it's it, it totally shattered my paradigm. He uh, you know, he wasn't your typical trainer. Your typical successful trainer is 
loud and outgoing and a lot of charisma. And, you know, they just those are the ones that tend to uh, exceed and in, in excel in, in fitness just because it takes that energy and personality for the most part. But that's what I loved about Justin was he was not that guy. Yet he ended up being uh, my top guy and he ended up being my assistant for a really long time. And we forged a relationship outside of the business. So worked together. I hired him. Then he ended up being my assistant. We were working side by side. And something that I've done with anybody who's been an assistant of mine or somebody that I hired and mentored, I still to this day stay in contact with most of those guys and girls. And so even though Justin and Sal and Doug, we were all off doing our own things in, in uh, different avenues related to fitness, we all, uh, you know, or at least Justin and I were in contact, Doug and Sal were in contact, but the four of us had never all met. And Justin and I were, we were building a, a fitness app together as like a side hustle. Him, he had a, his own business going. I had my own business going at that time. And, you know, we had talked about some ideas and where we thought the fitness space was going and that there was this need for, you know, a fitness app that we would gamify. And, you know, I had some extra money to kind of invest and try it. And I was kind of the financial backing. Justin was the tech guy. So Justin was my Doug. So okay. I, I am not tech savvy whatsoever. Justin like built his own website and he, he kind of gets <laughs> out on that side of the business. And I'm the, I'm the more front guy. I'm more the person people like that's my forte is relationship building analytics, like scaling business. Like that stuff is the stuff that I dig. Justin's more of the technical stuff. Very similar to like Doug. Doug really enjoys the technical side of the business and Sal is awful at that. And so they had this great relationship they had already forged. Justin and I kind of forged this relationship. And the funny part was I had heard about Sal for many years because Sal was uh, very well known in the company. So we all at one point, except for Doug, worked for a company, uh, 24 Hour Fitness. Okay. And uh, Sal and I started when we were like 19 years old, so really young. And Sal's a little bit older than me, so he started even before me. And he was a top performer. You uh, heard his name all the time. He's one of the youngest general managers. I was one of the youngest fitness managers. So I managed the fitness side. He managed the sales side. But we had never met. But in the, back when we were in the company – there was a lot of competitiveness. In fact, they used to print off this daily uh, report and it was a sales report and it compared you to everybody in the company. Now, this company's got 400 locations and thousands of personal trainers and hundreds of different managers. And every morning you would get a print off and you would see these guys and girls names and they would rank you number one, number two. And it was based off of your production and how you did. And Sal was always at the top. And so was I. And so we were kind of like competing without ever really knowing of each other because we were constantly seeing each other's names pop up there. And when you'd have these big, massive meetings where you get highlighted and they give trophies out, you know, you'd see you know each of us getting up there to get our awards. But we never talked. We never hung out. We never were in the same club, but we knew of each other. And we ended up over the years actually building relationships, really good relationships with some of the same people. So it was really crazy that we actually never came across each other. And I'd always hear from these, the people that knew both of us, they'd always tell me like, you got it. You got to meet Sal. You, you guys would just hit it off and you guys should do something one day. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, sure. I'll get around to it. And that was kind of like the, the thing. Every time I heard his name, like I, you know, I've heard great things about this guy and the people that are saying it, I respect. Now what I didn't know was 
he was hearing the same thing on his end. People were always telling him, like, you got to meet this guy, Adam. You got to meet this guy, Adam. Well, this is like over a decade ago. You fast forward <laughs> years later, we've both gone off. We've left that company. We've done other things in our career. And every, everything at this time, Sal's running a, a small studio that's like a health and wellness studio. He's got chiropractor inside there, massage therapist, and it's his own business that he owns. I've got a, I've got a large uh, outdoor boot camp business where I have trainers working underneath me in the Bay Area. In addition to that, I'm also starting up two of the first medical marijuana clubs. And we end up linking up on Facebook. And we just start kind of chopping it up. And sure as shit, just like everybody said, you know, we hit it up, hit it off like a bunch of booze and buddies right away, going back and forth. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I really think this guy, this guy's really intelligent. And the the truth is, and I, I don't know if I've shared this on an interview before, but the initial connection was marijuana because mm-hmm. at that time, Sal was doing a lot of research uh, on the effects of cannabis for cancer because his mother-in-law was dying of cancer and he was desperately researching and looking for answers to help her. And I had just recently opened up two of the first medical marijuana clubs in the Bay Area. I had partnered up with a, a client of mine and I was kind of like the, the the guy operating the business, even though I didn't know much about marijuana at first. I like Sal, when I get into something, I go really deep. And so like the first thing I did was buy all these books on horticulture and marijuana and the cannabis plant and all its benefits. So I'm diving deep and learning about this plant. Sal's diving deep, learning about it. We cross paths on Facebook and we actually are talking like about marijuana. And then of course, fitness, because that's our passion is also the conversation. And he, he says one day, he goes, Hey, you know, I've got this guy, Doug, he's a buddy of mine. And, and, uh, we're looking to, to do this digital online program right now. And I'd love for you to take a look at it. I said, yeah, man, send it over to me. I'd, I'd love to take a look at it. So he sends it over to me and I was so impressed with the message that he had sent that I instantly called him. <laughs> so we got to get on the phone. And what it was for the listeners that, that, that really, it wasn't like, I mean, Doug did an incredible job with the marketing on it and it was well shot and very professional, but it wasn't that it was, I had been in this space for a really long time and I'd learned the hard way of not doing a lot of the right things, uh, getting the messaging from the company about selling supplements to people and, you know, pushing that agenda on a lot of our clients to make more money. And I'd learned over the years that this isn't what was really helping my clients. And what they were missing was kind of the basics and really drilling that home. And even though it's a simple message, nobody was presenting it really well, except for Sal. Sal sends over this video. And it was the very first piece of marketing material that him and Doug ever did. And it was awesome. And I go, we got to talk. We get on the phone. We, and we talk, I think we talked for like two, three hours the first time on the phone. And I said, we got to get, you get Doug. I'm going to get my, my partner, Justin, who I think would, would love to be a part of this conversation. And let's just all get in a room together and who knows what's going to happen. So there was no like, oh, we're going to do this or, hey, let's go start a business together. It was literally just, let's all get together and see what happens. And it was, it was like, you know, four little schoolgirls in a room. The first time we all got together, we were like instantly friends and we had similar values and yet we were all very different. I mean, the, we could, the four of us couldn't be more different, but we were, yeah. we were grounded in the same values as far as fitness is concerned. Meaning like, you know, we had 
been in it for a long time. We learned the do's and the don'ts. We had lost a lot of love for uh, a lot of the the big box gyms and the the marketing that was being said behind fitness and a lot of the supplement companies. And we all were just we were fed up with that shit. And we agreed that nobody is coming out and really exposing all this. Like nobody is telling people like that they're being had because that would really fuck everybody's game up because it, back then when this was happening, the model to make a lot of money in the fitness space is you build a network. Okay. Whether that be you're famous because you're on a TV show uh, or you're a bodybuilder who goes pro or you're on the cover of magazines or you become an you know Instagram or social media star. But the, the model was you build a network from a, through one of these means and then once you build a network of enough people, you sell them supplements because supplements they need to use every single month. And if you can get, you know, a few hundred people bought in on buying all these pills and powders, then you've got a residual. You've got, you know, three, four hundred dollars a month per person coming in because they need all these supplements. And now you're a millionaire. And that literally was like the model of success. And nobody in the space wanted to blow that up. Nobody wanted to talk shit about that because that's how everybody made money. And we didn't care about the money at this time. We all had businesses. We were more interested in blowing up the space. And that was another thing that kind of like drew all of us together. You know, we all have this thing about the disrupting. Like I don't like not being the norm, uh, beating to our own drum or marching to our own drum. And we wanted to come out and talk all about our experience, our information, our knowledge, the things that really changed the lives of clients and expose a lot of the charlatans. And, you know, Doug at that time had kind of piped in and he says, what do you guys think about podcasting? And ironically, I had already kind of done some research on, on podcasting. I had listened to some political ones. My buddy had turned me on to, and I was fascinated by the medium, but mind you, just like Sal, no idea what it takes. I, mean, I, I think <laughs> you have to have millions just to have a podcast at this point. I don't have any idea what the the barrier to entry looks like. I just am. I think the medium's cool. And Doug's like, no, it's really cheap. It's really easy. In fact, I have all the equipment. And we all looked at each other like, shit. Okay. Well, let's do it. Let's let's put the because we just had had like a three hour conversation of hitting it off and talking about all these topics. And when that's part of why Doug piped in, because I know what the light bulb went off for Doug, like this is a great conversation. More people need to hear this. And that's what he said. And we all said, all right, well, let's fire up this podcast. However, we do that, you know, Doug would be the one leading the way there. And let's just see if people are as interested as we think they would be. And that's how it started. Uh, we got together and recorded the first one out of uh, my house. And we uh, put it out to like family and friends and our little network of clients that we knew to see what people thought. And it resonated. Uh, the, the message resonated. I think it was fresh. There wasn't at that time, too, we kind of had researched the the people in our space that were that were doing fitness podcasts and it wasn't really what anybody was talking about. And so, you know, we saw the blue ocean. We saw the opportunity to carve a space out in podcasting. And the goal at that time, uh, there wasn't this massive business plan of it's going to look like this and this is how we're going to make this money and, you know, whatever. It was like, hey, let's 
let's see if this message uh, resonates. Let's see if it can organically grow and uh, we'll take it from there. And that was literally how Mind Pump really started. Yeah, no, that's incredible. Uh, I actually love seeing the different personalities that you guys have over social media. Uh, Sal's, all his stories are just memes. Yeah. And then yours is actually just like Q&A. Yeah. And you actually like spew. And I'm just like, I kind of just laugh at all Sal's memes that he posts. Um, nope. They're all hysterical. Oh, funny. That, that was um, a hack that he found out. So there is a rhyme and reason to all that, by the way, too. Um, I mean, mind you, it is all of our personalities. You know, Sal has the darkest sense of humor for sure out of all of us. We all have dark sense of humor. Sal has the darkest. So, yeah. Uh, and you can see that through his memes. And he just started yeah. reposting them and he started to notice that that got more traction on his stories. And he could write the deepest post or the whatever story, talk to the camera, show buff pictures. Nothing outperformed his memes. It got the most views, it got the most. <laughs> the most saved and so he just he he stuck with it and just kept sharing the shit that he thought was hilarious and then what ended up happening was it compounded now sal doesn't even have to find that content because the following that we have created is so big he gets like hundreds sent to him every day it's ridiculous and he just picks the ones that he loves and he reposts them and it just it drives a ton of traffic to his page i found the same thing through q a i saw uh, one, when that feature first came out on Instagram, I saw somebody do it. Um, I thought it could be done better. And I was like, oh, let me try it this way. Let's see what people think. And uh, I knew that my goal when I was going to do it was I wanted, you know, the way we look at Instagram, it's like a, uh, we look at Instagram like a business card of the old. So back in the brick and mortar days, you know, for people to kind of get a, a glimpse of who you are, your business would be like a business card. So we treat Instagram like that. It's it's a way for you to peer in on who who I am as a person. So it was important that when I did the Q&A, I wasn't going to sit down and look at the questions and like, you know, think out like, oh, this would be the perfect way to say this or coming off the smartest. I'm like, no, my personality, I'm a smart ass. Uh, it, it's going to be quick. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to answer the shit I don't want to. Like, and just, I want people to get to know who I am. And that's the evolution of the Q and a for me is I started doing that and that got a ton of traction. So that for me gets me the most views. So that is kind of how that evolved. And that's why there is a rhyme and reason. There's a lot of rhyme. There's a lot of things that mind pump does that uh, we probably make look silly and funny and whatever, but there's always a lot, there's actually a lot more thought uh, behind a lot of things, especially if you're coming in now today, because, you know, we've refined uh, and well, I'm sure we'll get into that today because you've, you've already told me some things you want to talk about. And many of those things that you want to talk about have uh, dramatically changed over five years and we've, we've evolved and That's just one example. Yeah. Uh, I honestly, going back to the podcast, I created this thing off of, right now I'm using a $60 microphone and a $200 platform. I was like, that's what I'm using to create this. Honestly, we bless up. Penn State gives us Adobe for free. So I was able to kind of utilize that as my editing, but it's so easy now to create a podcast. And I don't even know why I kind of wanted to create it at first. I was like, oh, this is just kind of cool. And then I saw Aaron... Aaron Diamond and Jordan Duggar do it. And I saw you guys do it. Um, and I was like, all right, well, let's just create it. I just created the first episode out of a whim, not really knowing what I was doing. And then now I've grown to 
by the time this comes out, probably 4,000 plus downloads. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so it's kind of cool to see the impact that you that you can have uh, through this medium. Oh, I think that's been that's been the coolest thing. Like the DMs that I get from people affected by it is like the dope is probably one of the best dopamine kind of releases that I've ever oh, had. It's, a, it's an awesome <laughs> it, medium. It's uh, and a lot of people. I think people are starting to become more aware of this, but the conversion rate from a business perspective is significantly higher uh, on podcasting than it is in almost any other medium. So it, it beats out TV, radio, newspaper, magazines, Instagram, Facebook. Um, it converts really high. So even if you only have you know a few thousand people listening to you, if you've created a very loyal base of people that are listening to you, it's a very valuable asset. Um, it And it's, it's, I think, way, way underutilized by many people. And I think more and more people are becoming savvy of it and are start, we're starting to see more people enter the space. Um, but yeah, I know it's a great time to be in, in, in podcasting. And I kind of want to get into more just the podcast real quick before we get into all the other topics. Um, actually, based upon topics, how do you guys come up with all your topics for your shows? Like each one is so different. Mm-hmm. And it has a unique type of spin. And you guys being so many episodes in, how do you guys make each episode so unique from each other? I feel like this is the toughest part. I like just assuming for you guys having that many episodes, like I feel like everybody thinks that they get sick of hearing the same things, but they always need to hear the same things. Like that's why I get from my episodes. It's like I spewed the same stuff, but people love listening yeah, to it. You know, uh, that's a that's a really good question because there's a there's a lot in there and, and a lot of that has evolved and changed that kind of was what i was alluding to earlier when i said you know you asked you wanted to ask some things that you know has changed a lot you know when we first started the theory was uh, we looked at we looked this up the the average commute time to work in the united states is 28 minutes so if you go back far enough in the uh, mind pump catalog you'll find most episodes fall right around that 20 to 30 minute mark and that was why we did in fact it was so funny we used to you used to even hear sal at the end of the around the 20 minute hey doug uh, what's the time you know and doug would go okay we keep talking or it's oh 30 minutes okay thanks for listening to my input and we cut it off like it was really cheesy and that was why we did it and when we first started we actually had no real rhyme or reason on what the topics would look like it was a lot of shooting from the hip we just from the first conversation we got together we knew that we had a lot to talk about, especially, I mean, Sal and I can talk all day long and Justin's got just as much experience. So he's got plenty to say, even though you may not hear him say as much, he has a lot uh, of thoughts around uh, the space. And so we knew we wouldn't run out of content uh, because we've been doing this for so long and I'm still, you know, back then still talking to clients and sharing the same stories. And what you just said is so true that, you know, you, you end up saying the same, the same thing 50 different ways. And that's part of being a good personal trainer. That's just what happens. You, you tell, you say it one way, uh, a, a bunch of times and that resonates with a certain percentage. And then you say it another way, same point. You just tell it in a different way. And that resonates with another percentage. And that was just like training clients. I'd have to be a chameleon. I would have to learn that if I was talking about, uh, you know, the law of thermodynamics with a 
a teenage boy versus a, you know, 35 year old pregnant woman versus a bodybuilder dude versus a 70 year old man. Like the, the science is all the same, but the communication to each of those people have a slight twist. And we know that from our experience of training people one-on-one for so long. And so I think that's what we've found through podcasting is we repeat ourselves a lot too. I mean, we, there's definitely, things that I think I've said on the podcast a hundred times, but it, t- it takes that sometimes to drill it home to a client. And you were used to that as a trainer, you would train a client and you would tell them and you would know they didn't listen because the results would show that, or they'd be still asking the same question. And so you just got used to like just repeating yourself. In fact, I think some mistakes that some fitness people make, I have friends that are podcasters and have been doing this for a long time and they're fitness people and they, they let their podcast be led by what interests them. And they have gone from, you know, when they first started, they were talking about the fundamentals of personal training. And then, you know, 500 episodes later, they're going deep on a cellular level, what's going on inside the body. And we, I think we had the, the whereabouts to know not to do that. Because even if that podcast that I'm referring to that was light, like that, that do things like that, even if they were having success, we knew if we were going to reach the masses that we couldn't do that. And we didn't want to do that because I never talked that way to my clients. I mean, even if that interests me, I mean, I, I, I love off air going yeah. deep with, with Sal and Justin, but the average person, I, I don't see that. And we saw that opportunity. We saw a lot of people in this space we're fighting over the same 5% of people, the 5% of people that were already pretty interested in fitness. They're already coming to the gym. They're just looking for the, the new cutting edge research, or they want a little more detail, or they want to hear deeper stuff that there's, that's 5%. And it seems like everybody is, you know, fighting over that. My modality is better. You know, this way of training is better. This diet is better. And they're all fighting over the same 5% of people. When we came in, we're like, <clears throat> excuse me, we don't want to m- even try and fight for those people. Let those people be. And maybe some of them will like us. Maybe some of them won't. I want to reach the people or we want to reach the people that are not motivated to come to the gym or are, are not turned on by the fitness space. In fact, they're turned off by it because what they see is, you know, shirts off and muscles and tight butts and look at me and (laughs) I'm smarter than you. And this is what the latest research says. And, and, and those, those people that are, are, are fighting with each other about who's smarter, who's better looking, who's more motivating are, are really talking to the same small percentage of people and they really turn off the general population. The general population, it's just it just goes over their head. It's either way too heavy science way wise, or they think you're a douche because they're not that much into fitness and this whole show my body all the time and talk about sexy and mo- that's just it, the average engineer doesn't care about that. And yet, I know that my business, all of our businesses, were built off of the engineer, the teacher the firefighter, the, the, the dad, the mom, the, the, the grandma, the, the old, the normal people were who supported yeah. our business. So why the hell would I get into podcasting and then all of a sudden change my conversation to this like really deep science talk that only appeals to a small percentage. So we knew to, to, to stay 
in our lane and speak to to that population and really refine the conversation and repeat a lot of things over in different ways and share stories. So we knew that much. We knew to, to go in that direction and we would just, you know, we'd come into the studio and we'd say, Hey, let's, uh, let's talk about fasting. Lots of people are asking questions about that. And it's, it's a, it's a buzz term at this time. So let's address it, you know, and let's explain it and let's explain it, not in a deep scientific way, but in a way that my mom could understand that my mom now knows is fasting for me or is it not for me? And if I do use it, how should I use it? And how is it beneficial for me? Not arguing the science behind it. Right. So, you know, that's when we do topics, we think about that, you know, we think about giving people really good information that like fasting or the ketogenic diet or the carnivore diet or topics like this, but also making sure that we don't go so high level that just, you know, Joe Smo is, is going to be so turned off by the conversation. So that kind of drove the content at the beginning. And a mistake that we made that didn't get corrected till way later was iTunes does not favor you bouncing all over the place. So iTunes works very similar like Google search does. And yep. what in for you to get populated. So if someone comes into a podcast and puts ketogenic diet and I back when we first started we were like all over the place you know talking about our personal lives talking about the ketogenic diet then we switch over to thermodynamics and you know we go all over the all over the board and just have fun conversation but it that didn't serve us for ranking and for being found organically because they want you to be very uh, topic focused and go deep so the way Google, rewards you SEO wise is they are looking for the con who has the most content about the a single subject. So how and how accurate is it and how well shared and read is it? And listening on podcasts are similar. So you you want to stay when you do a podcast, whether it be an interview or by yourself, uh, it would behoove you to think as think enough about the episode that you stay kind of central around a theme and 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 go deep on a theme and by deep i don't mean science deep i just mean lots of good information related to that topic so now when you fast forward five years later we learned a lot of that so when we do a, a single what we call single topic episodes now which we do two of those a week we we actually now take the time we never did this before we outline so okay. we, we, we outline uh, a, a topic. We say, like, let's use fasting since I already brought that up. And we will sit down and we will list off bullet points. You know, I want to make sure we cover this, the, the myths about it, the do's, the don'ts, the positive things about it, the negative things about it, you know, all the different types of it. And Doug will take notes. So we all kind of sit round, round robin and we fire all these points out. Doug will be like typing on the computer all these notes. And then those notes are up on the TV screen. And then we go off the cuff. And then we just get on the podcast and we start talking. And we have those up there as bullet points to, to reference to make sure we cover them. But then we just have our natural conversations, which we're lucky that the three of us get along really well. And we weave in and out of each other really well because it's not it, we definitely don't format the episode but that's kind of how topics are decided now and you know there's just there's always something to talk about there really is and and you know uh 
what makes it easier for us and probably more challenging for somebody that's new is just the experience. I mean, we, we are not master podcasters, but we would be considered master trainers. You know, we've all got, you know, well over 10,000 hours of personal training. So that's our expertise. So all we had to do was come on here and share all of our 10,000 hours worth of expertise on the mics the podcasting part, though, is what has taken us a long time to get good at the craft. And a lot of that is an, another, I think, thing that you even alluded to is just uh, self-awareness and reflection on on ourselves. So each of us are all very uh, growth-minded. And, you know, we do an episode, and you, it may seem narcissistic that we listen to our own episode right afterwards, but we would, and and it was to critique ourselves individually. So we all would listen on our own time. And I'm not really paying attention to what Sal and Justin are saying so much. I'm paying attention to how I interact with them, you know, how I make my points, uh, the cadence of how I'm talking. Am I clear? Am I concise? You know, did I ramble? And so I, I'm being very critical of my my podcasting skills. And then we just kept sharpening our sword. And that it just we used to say that it takes 200 episodes for some reason. Uh, we have figured out that it takes about 200 and we notice like a, a little level up, you know, a, a little, a, you got a little bit better. It just takes that much. It's just like anything, right? Like in a sport or anything else that you're learning, you know, you, you, somebody teaches you the, the a crossover dribble the very first time you ever played basketball. The first time you do it, it looks terrible and it's sloppy. And after you do it 200 times, all of a sudden it starts to look more fluid. Well, that's just like what we do in this. I mean, we, we just keep putting out good content and adding value to our audience, but then we keep going back and saying like, how could that have been better? And what should I have done there? And what should I insert? And then we, and it just over time, I think we've gotten, you know, better and better as podcasters. And so now it, there is, uh, there's more organization behind episodes. Now the company is, is way bigger than what it was five years ago. So, there is yep. a, a whole host of other things that happen with an episode now. So, you know, we have five blogs on a minimum that are being written every single week. So we have blogs that are going out. We have YouTube episodes that are going out. We have show notes to support the the episode. And then we have the actual episode itself. And so when we do a talk now, there's lots of communication that's going on about that topic. And that just helps with the organic traffic. So, you know, if, and it, that takes time, right? So now over all these years of writing all this content, we now generate thousands of leads every month from people searching a topic where we have an episode, we have a blog, we may even have a free guide around it and they find that content and then they fall into our funnel and now we can either target them for sales or we can drive them to more valuable content. And that's what's allowed the business to scale. And none of that was really in place early on. The beginning, the first step, I think, for podcasters that are listening is, you know, just the main focus should be add value to your audience, perfect your craft. Uh, don't worry about advertising. Don't worry about making money so much. Your best litmus test is is this shit growing on its own? Do people listen to you share it with their friends because it was so good or they enjoyed it so much or it added so much value to their lives? And that should be the main focus because if and only if you are getting that, 
you may have a business. If you are focused on what some people are when they first get into this space is they're looking for the hack. You know, what do you guys do to get reach, you know, millions of people? Yeah. And do you advertise the podcast? I get asked all these questions and no, the answer is no to all of that. Like we, we have slowly grown year over year consistently through adding more value to the audience and perfecting the craft. And, you know, five years later, yeah, there's a, a big advertising budget. There's, you know, a ton of people that work behind the scenes that nobody even sees with Mind Pump. That That's what keeps the machine running now. But to get to the place where you've got a substantial business, the first key is to prove that you are adding enough value that somebody would even consider investing in you whatsoever. Yeah, I actually, I'll give away how I create my topics. I honestly, people would hate me if they looked at my notes, my notes app. To truly be honest, that's every single person I have ever booked on. I still have their topics. Um, it's literally what I do. And some days I'll kind of be blank over what to talk about with some guests. I'll just book them on. And then next day I'll hear something from them or see a post on Instagram. I can create like that's six good. topics off that that's that's kind of how i do it just because i love doing that like i base it off what the people like to talk about on their own social media and then revert revert it back to my show and what can i give people um i also just use it i always say this i kind of look at it as a way of i just get to pick the brain of someone for an hour that's kind of so it's kind of like a both best of both worlds. Uh, people get to listen to me pick someone else's brain about certain topics um, that I love to talk about. So that's kind of how I do it. Um, I just like to, like you said, focus on your craft. I think it's just no, you have to fall a, in love with that's it. That's a smart like, strategy, it is, and it's much of the motivation for us too. It was to scratch our own itch of, hey, this is this author. I just I read I read his books. I can't wait to talk to him. You know, and I. I still like a little kid get all excited about that. Like how cool is that, that, you know, I have a, a favorite, like one of my favorite books like, when it came out a year or two, whatever it was when uh, Mark Manson released subtle art or not giving a fuck that love that book. It's yeah. so cool that I have a platform now that I can have that author sit in the room with me, hang out with him, get to know him, ask him every personal question, business question. I want to chill with him afterwards. Like, man, that's like a, a dream come true. And, and, I think that that passion and love for those conversations is is the root of the success because if you love it and you think of it like that and you're not like oh I need to have this many downloads or oh I need to be making this much money like you're going to get it, that can get really discouraging because it takes a lot it takes a ton of work and a long time and not a lot of money so if you're thinking like that it it, it could really turn a lot of people off but if you look at it like I like doing this and it get, presents an opportunity for me to pick the brain of, of brilliant minds, people's minds that are uh, far more knowledge than I do. This is great. You know, and we say this all the time off air that I've grown more as a person on all levels, uh, psychologically, spiritually, emotionally, business wise in the last five years than I did in the previous 30 years. I mean, it just it just 100%. accelerates that. So it, it's a good attitude. If you have that attitude, it's a very good place for you to be. Yeah, that's kind of how I've been exactly that. I started, like I said before off air, started in, in August. Uh, I didn't really take it too seriously until really January when I started booking like two people a week to kind of record. And then it was like, then I started getting into who am I booking? 
and why am I booking them rather than just having friends? Like I think I think I did like seven episodes my first semester of this is my senior year, so I'm about to graduate in a week uh, or two weeks, and I'm kind of just like looking at it and. I didn't have that many episodes first semester, second semester so far. I think I've had like 15 episodes or something so far. So it's like incredible, but I love doing it. Like I get, I got so hyped when I booked you and Sal both on two separate shows. Cause I was like, <laughs> this is going to be intense. I was like, I was yeah. like, I got to level up my game a little bit. Like that's kind of how I look at it. I'm like, you guys are like the top of the top. So I'm like, what can I do to make the episode very cool, as very cool. best as possible? Um, so let's kind of get into more of the mindset aspect. This is something, like you said, like, what do you like to talk about? This is something I love to talk about. Um, I've been through a lot, as I mentioned to you before, and dealing with an inner darkness is really something that a lot of people struggle with. Um, I struggled with it for five years and it came out through alcohol and stuff right when I turned 21, a little bit of abuse of that, uh, that hit my anxiety and stuff. And then I think I dealt with it through this. When I was able to tell my story over my podcast, this is how I dealt with it. And also just like talking with people. Um, so I kind of want to get your kind of feel for how you deal with inner darkness and how people should really deal with that in general. Cause I think it's really something that should be taken seriously that not a lot that people just try to, <clears throat> I, I do like this question and I do like to talk about this cause I've spent many hours and probably many days now pondering, um, you know, how did I handle this or, you know, how did I get to the place where I'm at mentally to, uh, how did I get here? Um, and what I've come with or what I've put together is one, I'm I'm very blessed and lucky that I went through a lot of that shit as a child. And what I mean by that is, you know, at seven years old, my dad committed suicide. My mom then remarried into an abusive relationship. We moved around in nine different homes. Um, I'm no stranger of food stamps. I know it's like to have the electricity turned off. I know it's like to not receive anything for your birthday as a kid. And so I had, I went through a lot of this stuff as a young kid. Now, in the, in the defense of my parents, I'm sure there was some really good times in between all those dark and bad times. But the first thing is to, and I love neuroscience too. So this is something that's helped me as I got older and I read more about this is we are wired to hang on to the, the bad. So you have to know that. So that's very key to, to first working your way through this stuff. And what I mean by that is there was, there's for sure, a hundred a hundred times more good times and moments in my childhood than there are negative the shitty part is i don't remember any of them i don't i have very very few memories of laughing at the dinner table with my mom and dad or skipping down the hall with like i don't have those i have you know glass being shattered mom throwing a frying pan at dad dad getting handcuffed and taken away in prison coming up coming home from school and hearing that your dad committed i have all that stuff and the reason why is we are wired yeah. that way, you know, as it, we are wired to remember those traumatic things because your brain wants to not have to deal with them again. So it really solidifies that pathway. 
Now, why that's dangerous is that people can get stuck in that pathway. They can get stuck in replaying that in their head. And then they tell themselves that it's all everything is bad and there is no good. And, and in their defense, it really feels that way. And I felt that way. I grew up with a lot of anger and animosity and a chip on my shoulder that I, I was upset at my mom. I was angry at my dad for taking his life. And uh, my motivation as my, in my early teens and into my even my 20s was to not be anything like them. You know, I was going to be different. I was going to be successful. And it was all driven out of almost hate. And that's not that's not a good place to be because what ends up happening is you still keep running into this drama and and issues, and it wasn't until I really got into like reading about psychology and neuroscience and really understanding that and trauma and going through a lot and I had a lot of counseling so I'm no stranger of therapy as a child all the way into young adulthood I was in and out of therapy and one of the best things that therapy had taught me. Uh, and I remember even being a kid thinking this way, like I could do this job. I remember for a while I wanted to be a, a, a counselor because I was like, they don't really do anything. They just keep asking you the same fucking question. They just keep asking you to, to <laughs> they keep asking you why and for you to explain your feelings. And then they yeah. say, why again? And then you explain and then they say, well, why do you think that? And then, you know, they just keep doing that to you. But what it does is it forces you inside to start unpacking your feelings and, to, and it helps you get to the root cause of all those so that's the first step. The first step is to understand that everybody in the world, there's, there's millions of people that had it way worse than me. So I know that. I know that it is as rough as my life. And my story is the, is the worst because it's my story. And, and, and so everybody who goes through something yeah. feels that way because it's so close to them. But the first step is to recognize that that's the way the brain operates and you can't help but perceive things that way. The second thing that I started to piece together as a, as a young kid and then into young adulthood was anytime that I was faced with, with adversity or trauma or drama. And when I made it through it and I got out over it and I got to the other side, it always resulted in a, a, a almost equal positive to the negative, meaning if it was something that was really adverse, really hard, broke my heart, if I made it through it, there was a lot of joy. If it was something that was kind of frustrating and I made it through it, it was I was kind of happy afterwards. So I, I began to like piece this together uh, through all the years of going through shit like, whoa, like. When when this shit is really tough, when I'm crying, when I'm contemplating dark thoughts and I'm in that, it's that's a, I'm a bad place. This is bad. Like, this is not good. This is hard. But I started to con make that connection that, OK, the harder it is, the more challenging it is, the more rewarding it was on the other side. And so if I could just persevere through that and get through the darkness and make it out I would, I would receive or feel a joy that I had never felt before, especially if at that time I was going, this is the hardest time ever. I've never felt this sad. I've never been so down. It's never been so bad. I learned to reframe it and go, okay, if it really is that bad, then guess what, what that means on the other side? I'm about to feel something on the positive side that I've never felt before if and when I make it through this. And that attitude gave me this new way of like looking at 
adversity going and it served me as an adult. So I, when I said I was blessed for going through all those things, you know, that I, I had animosity, I, I began to be grateful for the challenging things that I went through as a kid because it's, I got practice. I got, I got practice with these things yeah. that were challenging and that were hard and making and then, and seeing that and like, Oh, things are better. I'm okay. Oh, things are better every time I get through this stuff. So then when I got into young adulthood on my own, I was out by 17 living on my own and uh, paying for college and uh, okay. renting an apartment. So working before and after school and uh, was out supporting myself. And when I would run into hardships, you know, didn't have a job at the time or, you know, a bill hit or whatever you could think of that the young teenage or young adult first hits when, when life slaps them in the face, it actually it wasn't a big deal to me. It was kind of like, this is it. This ain't that tough. I've had way tougher shit when I was seven, eight, nine years old, like this type of adversity. And so I had, I had, a, I had built this resiliency to adversity because I had practiced going through so much of it before. So when I talk to somebody who's going through these times, I try and share that message with them. And it's hard when you're in it, I know, because when you're in it, it's it's the worst you've ever been but if you if you learn to yep. reframe yep. that and know that success resides on the other side of fear if you know that then that's what can keep you kind of going like you know what it's okay like i'm going to get back up i'm going to make it through this and it's going to be better because it's so bad and so I actually started to learn to kind of chase adversity. And if it, if I got the butterflies because I was afraid or it was going to be a risk I was going to take in business or it was going to be a change of environment, I was going to move away from my comfort zone. These type of things that kind of stirred up that fear a little bit. I was like, ooh, this scares me a little bit. That's good. You know, this is good. this is good. This is a good thing that this is going to yeah. be hard because it's going to be rewarding. When we when we when we get things and that's and it's actually one of the most crippling things that happen to kids that grow up in a very successful home because they don't deal with a lot of adversity. Sometimes they get things handed to them and life is much easier for them. And that could be one of the worst things that you could hand a child is letting them go through life, doing everything for them. And helping them out all the time. So then when they're out on their own and they get hit with a little bit of adversity, it feels like a fucking tornado hit them. And for me, I think I went through so much of the hard shit early that when I got older, it like it, it really did feel almost like and I don't want to say walk because I had definitely bouts of I, I went through a time where I felt depressed. I went I've had all the, those moments, but they've only been moments in my life or, sh or short time frames because sooner or later I catch myself telling that that victim story to myself saying, poor me. Oh, this is bullshit. Why, why is this company not promoting me and they should be doing this? Or I can't believe I, I lost my house over this. And you know, these, these, these things would happen and I would go through these feeling sorry moments. Like it's very natural for people to do that. But then I would snap out of it. I'd be like, what's the story I'm telling myself right now that ain't doing nothing for me. And the more time and energy that I dwell on the negative and dwell on the poor me and point the finger at everybody else is time and energy that's going to take away from getting to that successful side, getting to the fun side, getting to the joy 
if I continue to dwell. So, you know, it would those those and those those windows of depression, sad, hard times, they began to be smaller and smaller and smaller to the point now where I even talk about, I just did the, an interview recently where I talked about how this is a skill that you can develop and that I, I still to this day implement these practices. And it started like this. It started, and this is later, way later in my 20s. I've learned a lot of these lessons. I handle adversity a lot better than probably the average person because of the shit I went through. But I'm still fucking human and shit still happens. And I still get angry. I still get sad. I still have dark moments. But I learned to do this practice at night where yep. at the end of the day, I would kind of be laying in bed and I would reflect on my emotions throughout the day, both good and bad. And I would unpack them very similar to what I was taught to do in therapy. You know, so if I had this feeling of joy because I was doing something, I would go like, why was I so happy at noon today? Oh, well, that's because I was spending time with my two childhood best friends and we were laughing and joking about sports and we were razzing each other. And it's like, that was like a, a moment for me. It's like, okay, check. It's important to you, Adam. Put that over in your value box. Put that over in something that's important. Like th that's important that you foster that. You don't lose that. To hang on to that because it gives you great joy. And then the other part of the day where I have, you know, frustration, you know, it was work, something happened at work. And, you know, I was either mad at an employee or maybe a, a partner or I was I was frustrated with something and it caused a negative reaction, angry at them. They're stupid or I can't believe they disrespect me that way or I'm tired. And instead of going at the end of the night when I was reflecting, instead of going like they did this and I can't believe they did that, I would go, OK, why did I allow another human being to affect my internal emotions? Why did I give my power away? Why did I, why did I allow them to do that? And instead yeah. of with the natural reaction for people is, well, it's because they said this to me or they acted that or they did this or what? No, take them out of the equation, own it, own all of it. They can't control my feelings. I control my feelings. So why did I allow that? To bother? And then I would start to unpack it. Where is that from? Why does that, why, why is it when somebody says something uh, about, you know, something financially for me, that was a, it was a big one for me because I came from not having a lot and it was a big insecurity. And most, all these are always rooted in that, by the way. So when you start to dissect the ego, unpack your emotional roller coaster that we all go through on a daily basis, you start to realize that all these negative thoughts, negative self-talk, dark times, frustrations, angry at other people, feeling like a victim, all of it is rooted in some sort of an insecurity. And most of them go really deep, like all the way back to childhood. And so I would be able to, because I was practicing this at night, I would start to see that. And of course, you start to see patterns. Oh, wow. Like I, I have this issue where every time somebody brings up, you know, success or this or this, I feel this need to, you know, tell them how successful I am or share my bankroll and then they get competitive and then they say something rude to me and cut me down and then I get angry and it's like, back that all up. 
that's why did I do that? Why did I? Oh, I know why I did that. It's because that's a major motivator for me. I'm really insecure about not having money. I, that's a main driver for me. And I'm allowing somebody who is pointing that out or making fun of me there or giving me a jab and it affects me emotionally and it has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with me and that I have work to be done internally on that. And so it starts like that. And it starts by making that a practice on a regular basis. And then like any other skill, as you start to refine that, you begin to be able to do this on the, on the spot where now when somebody says something that would, you know, the, the hot term trigger me, make me want to say something. Like, and that's why I don't like this trigger culture either where, you know, like, Oh, he's like, no, nobody should be able to ever say anything <laughs> to you to trigger you. If you feel triggered, that's your own shit. You, feel, you, you feel, you control your feelings. He or yeah. she doesn't control that. So they said something, it triggered me. It's not, oh, they shouldn't say that. It's because I can't control people. You'll never be able to control people. You're stupid to think you will or we can. So I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do is work on myself and go like, oh, why? that's not, that's silly, Adam. And so I, you begin to get quicker at it where it's like, oh, I normally would have reacted and said this. Instead, I took a deep breath and go like, oh, okay, that's stung. Okay, I didn't like that. Like, but I'm not going to allow this person to m allow them to shift my mood and shift my attitude. And so, and it's a man, it's a lifelong practice. It's a lifelong practice. It's forever challenged. It's also a big reason why uh, the four of us work so well together. I think we all value this. Maybe we all have different ways of practicing this skill but we all have this and uh it was one of the one of the things for sure that made me fall in love with sal as one of my partners because him and i are very headstrong and uh off air we battle a lot yeah and for the good of the business but when you get into arguments and debates about things ego gets involved and it's really easy to bruise each other's egos or throw slides or jabs or point fingers in those moments and because we both have this self-awareness, we can get, we can literally get into like a heated battle about the business. Like one guy arguing, we should do this. The other one arguing the other way. And when the, as soon as the conversation stops, the, each guy, and I know this is his brain works the same way as mine. I'm not like, I don't stomp off and go like, I can't believe fucking Sal and fuck like, he's an idiot. He's wrong. And I can't, and I, I don't, I don't go home and start like <laughs> researching to, to support my argument more. And he's not going home. What we're both actually doing is exactly that practice. I'm going home and I'm going like, fuck, why did I get so frustrated with that? Why not just allow, why don't we just go Sal's way? And I should, and then all of a sudden when we see each other and it rarely ever gets back to seeing each other, we normally end up texting or calling each other right after that and actually express this. But, but sometimes we'll get back together the next day okay. and each guy brings forward a, a defense of the person, the other person. Like, Hey, I, I totally see where you're coming from on that. And mm. you know what? Let's, let's do it your way. Let's, I, I agree. Let's, let's go your way. And, and, and it, it just works out. It's amazing. And, and what we do is whatever way we decide to go. So let's say, you know, Sal comes in and says, you know what, Adam, I, I totally see where you're coming from. And yeah, I'm down. Let's try it your way. He, what he doesn't do if our way, my way doesn't work out. So let's say my way, we decide to go a certain way in the business. A month goes by, it fails. It was a bad idea. Sal's way was the right way. Sal does not go. I told you 
I told you I was right. We should have done that. And it doesn't, he owns now my idea. Once we decide that we're going to go my way, it's our way. And we're all 100%. He's not trying to sabotage it. He's not bitter. We didn't choose his way. He's 100% bought into it. When it doesn't work out, nothing needs to be said. It's just the obvious pivot. My way didn't work out. Now we're doing it his way. And that works on the flip. Many times it's the other way around. We go Sal's way. Sometimes it doesn't work out. I don't rub it in his face. I haven't bought into it as, he, as much as he is. And it, all of that is is the practice of self-awareness, is becoming very, very aware of your, your, your own ego, your own emotions. And when we get caught in these dark times, it's from all that. We, we are allowing insecurities we are allowing things with our ego to drive our emotions and the more aware you are of that the easier it is to control and it is not something that is just innate in everybody it's a skill you can practice it you can develop it you can get good at it you can get great at it and in, and i think it it may be yeah. the most powerful asset you could ever have if if you ever meet somebody who is incredibly self-aware i mean on a, like a on a whole nother level than other people you've ever met they're normally extremely successful successful in almost all avenues of their life their personal relationship with their spouse is normally better than most their business business is better than most their relationship with their kids better than most it's a it's a very very powerful tool that takes a lot of work and takes a lot of reflection. But if you learn to, if you learn to look into it, harness it, develop it, boy, does it, do you reap the benefits from it? If, if you learn to practice it on a regular basis. Yeah. Going back all the way back to kind of point off this, when I kind of look at it, I always say people, people always now, like it's not the people that, it's not the people that bully me. It's always the people that didn't know what happened. And they always apologize saying that we didn't even know this happened. Because um, some of them do listen to the podcast. And I'm like, I am externally grateful kind of for what happened. I'm like, right. I wouldn't have all this without going through that. Like there would be no creating this podcast right. without going through all that. Um and then I also learned that it's like you said, I learned something through that. It's kind of like looking at people and I realized that I didn't develop friendships from that. Cause I went through such abusive bullying that it was like, I have a trust and respect issue now with people. So if you kind of don't respect me and we work together, cool. I'll respect you in the workplace, but I do not, I do not want to like, like, I don't want your negative energy around right. me if, uh, if you don't respect me behind my back. Like, there comes, like, that's kind of how I am. I'm very real with people now. That's the one thing I developed out of all this, especially through this podcast, kind of talking with people who are a lot older than me, like yourself and everything. It's like, now it's time to make my circle and be real. It's like, I really, like, if you just don't respect me, like, cool. But, like, I just won't deal with you unless we're working together. Like when we're working together, I have no problem. But outside of the workplace, I don't want any of your energy. It's like, I don't want you in my friend group. I don't want you anywhere near that. I understand that's like a problem within me that I'm dealing with as to why now looking at your practice. 
Like I need to look at my insecurity as to why that is. But I know who I want to deal with now and who I don't. And it's kind of like, I always bring this up because Dr. Uh, Casey Joe, uh, Sam Miller's girlfriend, I had her on with Sam. And she was talking about this being the black sheep in college. And she was like, yeah, I had these same things where I took my fitness over going out to the bars and stuff like that. And she was like, you kind of just had to be real. And that's kind of when the turning point happened was when I started to create all this and went against the grain. And a lot of people aren't creating businesses. Like all my friends are worried about getting a job. Like it's like, well, no, nah, I want to create something for myself though in the process. One of our core values. And, so that's, uh, and that's a big one for me. Like I'm, Another thing too that I uh, I think that you you forever practice. I don't think you can ever be uh, enough honest. And I think uh, none of us are a, a thousand percent honest. I think that we we tell little white lies to ourselves all yeah. the time. And so it's an area that even at almost forty years old, I'm still challenging myself. More honesty, even more, be even more truthful with your feelings and. The those go together so well with the self awareness thing too, because you have to learn to take out the um, your emotions and your insecurities that you feel from something, and not allow that to drive your quote unquote radical honesty either. Because then there's that right. There's the people that are like, I don't like you, you, uh, and I'm and and because I you hit a button with me and you hit my insecurities that and I know that being radical honest is 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 important to me so then I I express that to you but it's being driven by my insecurities that's not the right place to come from cuz that's also going to lead you down a bad path like learning to be right there's nothing wrong with saying like hey man like it really hurts my feelings when like you talk like that or when you do things like that it just it it, it bothers me I I value trust i value loyalty um i i truly want to help you out i want to be a good friend i want to be a good partner to you um when when things like this happen um it definitely it sends me down a dark path and i either one want to work through this with you or two i need to remove myself from this situation uh, and I, I would I'd, I'd rather um, the prior I'd rather you and I figure this out. But if we can't figure it out, we can't grow and move together uh, through it. Then I have to remove myself from it because I know it's not healthy for me to do that. Like that's how I present something like that. It's not, you know, oh, you know, fuck you. I'm pulling you out of my life. I don't like you. That's how I did things earlier. Like I was definitely that guy, like got rid of a lot of people in my life <laughs> who I knew that were not serving me. And that were uh, definitely uh, leeching off of me and sucking energy from my life and they weren't supporting. And I think that's very important that people uh, tighten their inner circle. And it's a hard thing to do, especially if you, you know, a, a great thing. It's a great uh, spinoff from this conversation is, you know, another thing that you learn as you start to unpack and, you know, dive deeper into your patterns and your insecurities and your flaws. You also start to piece together that many of the friends that we attach ourselves to uh, early on in life tend to be crutches and band-aids for our insecurities, People that like, for example, I'm insecure about the way I look and I, and I gossip and I point it, I point out the negative things in other people and guess who my best friend is. She's the smart witty girl who talks shit about other people too. And we get together and we gossip about people and we put them down and we, and we became best friends when we were in high school and we drink together and we do and 10 years of friendship gone by, but you have no, idea you didn't, and you tell yourself this story 
that, oh, she's my friend who's been so loyal and been forever. But the truth is you guys are married to each other's insecurities and you fuel and feed off of each other. And that's the real reason why you're bonded. And it's actually crutching you and holding you back from growing as an individual. That's a fucking hard realization for people. It's very hard to, 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 to find. And I had those, I had friends that were with me for 10 years that were, I would consider best friends that I attached myself to because of some of my insecurities. And I was bonded by that. And I justified our unhealthy relationship because they've been there forever because that's my homie. That's my friend. He'd be there, do or die for me. But when I really evaluated the, the things that we had in common or the things that we did to each other or did to other people or acted like they weren't behaviors, they weren't things that I liked or valued in myself. And that person was fueling that and I needed to cut them out. Like that's really, really tough to do. And a lot of people get stuck their whole life there. A lot of people build relationships and they don't realize that they built them around insecurities and they justify it their whole life that, Oh, it's my home girl or it's my homie from, you know, day one and, you know, ride or die with them. But they don't understand that that, that relationship is actually killing them. That was a very pivotal mo moment in my life when I, when I put that together, I, I love sharing the, the, you are a truly an average of the five people you spend the most time with. And, and I mean that on a emotional, spiritual, financial, all around level. And if you are spending, you know, a majority of your time with these, you know, ride or die homies that go back to high school, but when you evaluate their life and where they're at, and a lot of times they're stuck somewhere in life and you're still hanging on to that friendship because you go way back, they're holding you back. They're part of your average. They're keeping your average down. And so it was very tough for me to do that, to break those and to seek out people that were actually bringing me up, that were on another level. They were on a higher spiritual level. They were higher on a financial level. They were higher on an emotional level. And when I started seeking those relationships, the growth, the development started to accelerate. And that's, that's a whole nother level that you can get to when you can piece that together. But uh, shit, I mean, I know people in their 50s and 60s that uh, still haven't figured that out that are that are stuck with uh, unhealthy toxic relationships that they they justify in their head because they've got history yeah i just don't like i just like be straight up i just like don't have like to look at it from that perspective i'm like i just don't have time like where i want to go right now being 22 like i know who in the industry I kind of want to be friends with, or at least talk to on a on like a good amount of times, like throughout the week, okay. like, like like having Chase or someone there to kind of be my mentor and stuff like yeah. that. It's like that's how I'm developing my circle. It's like like that's what I'm looking at right now. It's like I'm in the midst of developing who I'm going to be in this industry with the people that are going to uplift me and. There's people I'm creating relationships right now with from this podcast, from the opportunities I've had to interview with them. That's like puts me yeah. up a little bit because of the belief they have in me. Like I've talked to those people so much now because they say, and it's a weird thing that I got from them. And I don't know if it's from my past, but it says that they are proud of me and that they also believe in what I'm creating. 
I think that's been the one the that one statement right there when they say belief in what I'm creating is like the be all end yep. all. Like that's when you gain all my respect for anything. Very, very true. Is that singular point. Um I don't know how much time uh, we have. I'm okay how much right time now. We have we'll probably got another half hour or so. Uh, so I kind of want to know. Uh, okay. All right. Um, okay, cool. I just wanted to make sure uh, we have a good amount of time because I want to hit on this one because I think this one kind of relates to it. Uh, and dealing with false sets of confidence, um, building a alternative personality, like how much that can actually affect somebody because – from a personal note, I'll give you kind of a background. During my freshman year, I go over this a lot. Like, as you go into college, you want to be that kid that gets along with everybody. So you make those friends. Um, so you have your roommates for sophomore year and stuff like that. So you kind of change a little bit of who you are. And it can actually be a bit damaging. And I realized that as I've changed and as this year came, it like hit me that I changed my personality to fit in with some of the people that – I thought were my friends. Um, and thank God I was able to catch it a little bit um, and deal with it. But I kind of want to know your perspective on this one with gaining a mm. false sense of confidence yeah, that leads this to is an, an interesting one because I think <laughs> we're getting more of that as a society right now. And I think that's because I, I think social media is a main driver of that. I think that, you know, we now have this back in the days, mm -hmm. like kind of what you're referring to, you know, at school, you have to interact. And so maybe you kind of, you know, maybe you're a, a really, uh, you know, shy and quiet guy, but then you, you know, you're trying to gain attention. So you, you all of a sudden turn into the funny joke guy or whatever, or you, you do something that's really out of character because you just want attention or you just want to fit in, which is totally normal. Um, but I think that's magnified on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all these and YouTube. And uh, the more I've been in this space, the, the more I've realized that like, there's a lot fact, I think there's a higher percentage of people that are not who they perceive or that who, who are not who they portray themselves uh, as on social media. They, they act like they're super outgoing and they're this person and then you get, you meet them in person and they're shy. They don't make eye contact. They're insecure. And that's a dangerous place to be because even if you have the success or you get the desired outcome that you think you want, like say it's popularity, like, you know, I'm at this new school and I want to have friends. That's a normal feeling, right? I want to have friends. I want to be popular. I want to hang out where all the cool kids are. I want, I want to date the hot chick, like all normal kid feelings as you're growing up. But if you chase that and you change your character in pursuit of it, even if you achieve what you were, your desired outcome was, Many times what ends up happening is you resent who you are and then you become even more unhappy than the guy who didn't have all those things. And that's why I say that's a very dangerous place to be when you chase those things. That's also why I love, and this happened to me around your age, about 22. I used to have a, a, a buddy of mine who was my mentor at this time. When I was about 22, he was 26 and he, him and I worked together for about a year and then we went okay. and we managed different clubs, but we would talk every day, every day. And because he was my mentor, I leaned on him a lot. And he was the one 
that taught the the desired outcome thing to me like that he he drilled that into my head like i would as soon as i would get upset at a you know staff member and i'd be i'd be angry and you know at this point again i've already practiced self-awareness i know this person got me rised up so i know better than to just react and part of me controlling that reaction was i would call my mentor call my buddy and you know use him as a soundboard this motherfucker i'm so pissed i'm gonna fire his ass today and and i would like just i would and he let me he let me you know get it all out and then there'd be like this long pause in the phone and then he'd say what's your desired outcome adam what do you mean what's my desire i'm fire's ass i'm tired of this he's like no no think think that all the way through like what does that conversation look like what ends up happening when you make that decision and does that align with your desired outcome and when I started to do that, it really changed a lot of my behaviors because a lot of times we do things emotionally, you know, you do, you start acting a certain way to, to get in the group of people based off of emotions versus really logically thinking like, is, is this my desired outcome? Do I, if I just want to be popular and be in this group or to just fit in or to get a hundred thousand followers, if I have to sacrifice my character and act different than who I really am. Can I foresee what that looks like? Do I have the foresight to know what that unfolds and looks like? And do I have the self-awareness to ask myself that before I pursue that? And that was a practice of asking myself desired outcome. And I do that to this day, even with my conversations with my spouse. So even before Katrina and I are like, maybe she did something right. And I'm frustrated with her. She just did something that I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm so upset. She did that. And I, and I, and I'm like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta tell her, I'm going to say this to her. And then I, and I have to stop myself and go like, okay, if my desired outcome is that I don't want her to do that anymore, or I want her to understand how I'm feeling, how I present this message, how I say this to her matters. Everything. Everything matters. If I if I react emotionally and I and I and it's driven by my insecurities and I just say what's on my mind nine times out of ten, I won't get the desired outcome that I truly want because I'm acting emotionally. So in in every pursuit of my life and decision that I, I make today, I always try and challenge myself to pause and ask myself, what is my true desired outcome? And really look at that and let it unfold. And again, you know, if so, let's play the one out that you're talking about, about being popular, getting 100,000 followers. If the path that you see to get there requires, well, then I need to post more like this or I need to act more like this and do all that. Like you can't just go like, oh, I want that end result so bad that, OK, it's worth the thing. You have to really be able to unpack and go, OK. If I do that, what does that look like? What does it look like every day showing up to school or every day getting onto YouTube or Instagram and putting out stuff or saying things or doing things? That is just not me. God damn, that sounds tiring. Damn, that sounds that. And uh, when will that get old? And what will that do long term? And is that really what I want? And what is it that makes me want to be really accepted or popular or be this person what is the true desired outcome and what is the motivation behind that and really figure out what that all is before you start to pursue something like that so um, desired outcome is something that was taught to me by a mentor is a practice that i continue to do uh 
every single day and like the self-awareness thing it's a it's a it's something that you have to sharpen and keep practicing and the better you get at it the more real time you can do it and then it, when you get really good at it you then begin to quickly make decisions that are what you truly want and you can see the ones that are driven by the the insecurities and desires that are rooted in something else so it's all it all comes down to that your ability again to to reflect and see that before making those decisions and i tell you i've seen a lot of people um very very depressed and and other i mean here you know it's a great example of this is uh celebrities I mean, I mean, when you look at uh, drug abuse, um, suicide rates, yep. depression, I mean, it's some of the highest and the most wealthiest, most famous people. And it's so funny because so and I, and I can relate coming from not very much that initially as a kid, you desire all those things. I want to be popular. I want to have money. I want to be famous. I want like, do you like do you really for what reasons and do you know what comes with that? You know, and and is that something that you that you really want? So, yeah, I, I think under knowing that 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 suicide rates, drug abuse, and depression is some of the highest numbers are in famous rich people should make a lot of people really evaluate: is that really what they want, and is it for the right reasons that you're chasing that? And if you ask yourself those questions before you make the 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 moves or decisions and behaviors that you're going to implement in your life, it probably would change a lot of the decisions that you make. Yeah. yeah I honestly also think too vulnerability also plays a role too in social media. I think this is a lot of things that something that a lot of people stray away from. And I kind of learned it from Erin and having a conversation with her like on the side, just in like, Instagram, just like direct messages, she's she's like, don't be afraid to be vulnerable in a way. And that's kind of when it kind of hit me. Um, that's what I got used to. I was like, vulnerability is really where, is really that turning point when I saw more growth and more support than ever. Like showing true vulnerability and what, and what like the story is. Like when I came out with my story, it was such a huge relief off my shoulders in a way. Like I really don't know how to express it. I was kind of, I was actually in tears writing the whole thing out. That whole post that I put out, I was just kind of in tears bringing it all back to memory and everything. Uh, but I think true vulnerabilities when you really start to see the positive of social media. I think that's kind of where I'm getting it. Like showing who you truly are is when is the moment you gain the I most have, respect in the industry or even just too. from people who do follow um, you. So I 100% agree with you. Okay. And so much that we talked about this long ago. Uh, in fact, well before we had seen anybody talk about it in the fitness space, especially because in our space, in fitness, some of the, the deepest, biggest insecurities exist. Some of your most famous fitness models, in fact, 80%, maybe more of your cover of a magazine, models, bodybuilders, men's physique athletes, these people that are famous on Instagram are the 
most insecure people that are out there and the least authentic people that are out there. A very large percentage. There's a very small percentage of them that are actually really self-aware and very truly yeah. vulnerable. And we knew that coming in the space. We also knew that was part of our, our superpower was we were old enough and experienced enough that we knew that was the, the true path to success as coaches and trainers to get through to the average general population was being vulnerable, was sharing your story. The only way I'm going to get to Susie, who is, you know, 42 years old, struggled with uh, weight her whole life, is 80 pounds overweight, has a hard time looking me in the eye, insecure, sees me as this buff fitness guy. The only way I'm ever going to really get to her is for me to open my heart and to show her my deepest insecurities, my vulnerabilities, and humanize myself so she realizes that I, too, have all the same struggles and battles. They're just different. Maybe mine's not with weight. Mine's with money. You know, maybe her, mine's not with weight. Mine's with, you know, uh, the opposite sex and relationship, like, you know, or drugs or anything, right? Like, and once you you open up yeah. and, and, you, and you share yourself like that with someone, and we had to practice this one-on-one -on -one for thousands of hours right, in, our, in our careers, and, and the more we did it, the more we realized, like, oh, wow, this is, this is the way to lead with these people. So when we got into podcasting, that was actually one of our, our things that we wanted to make sure. That's also another core value. This was another thing that we knew we had to lead with, and we knew it was our superpower because – we didn't at that time know anybody else in the space that were buff looking fitness guys that were truly sharing their feelings and leading with vulnerability to the point that uh, authenticity, stay authentic is a core value and it's trademarked by us. And so before it even became a thing to say authenticity or stay authentic in the space, we were saying it and we trademarked it because we knew that if the, any if once people figured that out, they would know that that is the only true path to success and happiness. Because even if they had artificial success and money and fame, they would deep down be inside depressed and it would not last very long. And so 100 percent, I agree. 100 percent. I think that is the message. But I also think there's a big facade around it right now, too, because now it's becoming trendy. Became, at one point, it was nobody talked about it. Nobody said anything about it. Everybody yep. just fronted. Then a couple of buff guys on a podcast start leading with that and sharing that with people, and more and more people start to get comfortable with that. And then people that are smart see that, oh, wow, that's the, that's the way to success, and then they try and manufacture it. So – you know, I'm very careful with when I see people that are, quote unquote, being authentic or being vulnerable on Instagram and sharing things that this is me being vulnerable. Like I, too, do these things or I, too, get hurt or I, too, feel fat with a little roll on me. Like some of that's bullshit. In fact, a lot of it's bullshit. And there's a difference between this fake manufactured authenticity and true authentic vulnerability. And it's it's hard, I think, for people still to decipher the difference. I think it's a step in the right direction, 
that at least the conversations being had and more people are talking about it. But I still think as a whole, as a fitness whole, we still have a long ways to go because there's a lot of these kids that are, are posting like that and sharing. I think your, your example you shared is very true vulnerability. That's a very dark private thing that has happened to you. And that has completely changed who you are, probably made a lot of insecurities, probably caused a lot of fears and tears and dark moments. You know what? And you opening up and letting us see that or share that, that is vulnerability. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that is authenticity. That's, that's true vulnerability to me. But I don't buy into the, let me take a picture of me sitting down and show you my, my stomach roll or my period stain on my underwear when I work out. I don't buy into that as vulnerability and authenticity i bought i look at that and it smells like i'm trying to manufacture that because i need to relate to more people and i see that that's what people that are having a lot of success are doing so there's a fine line there to me of what i think real vulnerability is and real vulnerability is very hard it does exactly what you said it opens up tears it makes you shake and tremble inside a little bit. It, When you get it off, you feel the whole weight of the world come off of you. That is when you know you're being true, true authenticity when you feel like that after doing something. If you do a post where you have your girlfriend or your buddy, you know, hey, get a picture of me doing this or looking like this. Look at me. This is me with no makeup. I, too, look like that is not vulnerability that is manufactured instagram bullshit to make people think you're yeah. vulnerable real vulnerability looks like what you just explained it's fucking hard it, it, it changes who you are like those posts don't somebody who does a post look at me with no makeup look at me with my role look at me with my period stain look at that it, those things it's called virtue signaling. That is like the same thing when somebody goes, look at the money I donated to the church or look at this handicapped kid that I'm helping out. Like if, if, if it's coming from a good place and that, and you really, and you really are doing these yep. good things and there's no need for me to have somebody screen capture it and share it and show it to you. Otherwise it's called virtue signaling. And so, you know, it's, I'm seeing this new wave of, you know, quote unquote, authenticity and vulnerability that's being shared and passed around. And, you know, my my word to the wise or wisdom I can give you is stay true to where you're at in it and don't get caught up in being told that, you know, to force it. You'll know what being, you know, you'll know when you know when it's you when it's vulnerable, when you're being true vulnerable is because it'll be hard. You know, you'll be you'll be you'll be stuck in a moment where you want to lie. Or you want to do something or you, you want to divert or you don't want to talk about it because it hurts or it scares you or it makes you feel small and you do it anyways. That that's vulnerability. Like the, the stuff I'm seeing on Instagram right now, like, mm, I don't know, man. I don't know how, how vulnerable some of these people are that are that are posting some of these things. It smells a lot like virtue signaling to me. Yeah, because I went through, I think, the night the night I made it. So I got off a I got off a podcast with Megan Davis, Aaron's sister. She knew nothing about me, um, 
and she was like, like I had to go through the whole story at the beginning of the podcast because I wanted to give her kind of a background right before we went on. And she was like, oh, shit. And she had no clue what I went through. Like, absolutely none. And I think I made, so I made the whole thing. I typed it all up. And then I texted a friend of mine and I was like, I am so, I never been so mm-hmm. nervous to put something out there just because I didn't know what the reaction was going to be, but I needed to do it because I felt it after I typed it, I felt like I needed to put it out. Like that's kind of where the difference was. It was like, oh shit. And I fully understand where you're coming from too about the faking it because I see it all the time and it really does irk me when I post something where I literally show my progression from literally you could see me being a skinny ass kid going through it literally a month after I literally have a photo the month after it like right when I started my fitness journey I I think the place I think you're coming from a good place I just know that you're you're also like getting mentored talked to and and people are sharing things with you and I and I want to make sure that you you stay where you're at and you're that's your north star because I tell you this just happened to me um I think two weeks ago you know you you brought up my Q and A's on my uh on my questions I I I lead with vulnerability so much that I feel like I'm an open book and there's not a lot of times that really catch me in my in, in stop and go like, Oh shit, that's scary. Or I am scared. Or I don't want to tell the truth or whatever. And I had one of those moments just two weeks ago. So I had a, a vulnerability uh, moment that was shared on Instagram, but this is how it unfolded. I'm doing my normal Q and a stuff where I answer the, you know, like I do on my Instagram and I, I rapid fire them and someone fired this question and boy, was it a good question? Cause it fucking, it stopped me in my tracks. And I, I actually stopped and, and almost wanted to respond something yep. different because I didn't want to open myself up. And like, that's, and then, and I did because I know what, you know what, like, I can't believe that there. I first wanted to not share that, but that's not the truth. And the question was, Adam, when were you the most disappointed in yourself? And I was like, well, that's a deep question. I have to think about that for a second. And of course, uh, uh, it came to my mind right away. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to share that. Then people are going to think I'm not. And then I'm like, whoa, wait a second. Like, I don't want to share it. Well, that's I have to share it if I don't want to share it because I'm scared and that makes me vulnerable and now i look less successful or less smart or whatever um yeah i I do got to because they're asking me and they're putting me on the spot like that this is when it's most important to be vulnerable and that i came out and i and the story for me was uh you know i went through a little bout of depression when i was in my mid-20s or as close to my late 20s uh when i had to short sell my house and the reason why that was so hard on me was because up until that point i had completely wrapped my identity around being successful having an 800 credit score never missing a payment in my life buying my house by 21 years old like that i I completely had wrapped my entire identity around that and then here i was later 27 years old or whatever it was and i was having to let go of my house and that just it ripped me apart it ripped me apart because now I felt like a failure. I, you know, everything that I had worked for for all these years, all the things I was so proud, proudest, one of the proudest moments of my life was standing in my home that I bought by myself at 21. That was a huge proud moment for me and to now lose it 
was just it was it just devastated me. And I and the thing that I was so disappointed in myself was that I allowed myself to be in a position that short selling my home would even be an option. And it was because of irresponsible choices that I had made with my money because I made plenty of money. I was making six plus figures. I had a great job, 401k benefits. There was no reason why I should short sell my house. But I was in a predicament where it's like, well, I had some credit card debt. I didn't have a lot of savings. The equity in the house was dropping 100K every, like every six months. And it would before in no time, I was upside down on the loan. And I was being told by my best friend, like, dude, it's a smarter move to walk away from this. And it just broke my heart. And that to me, that moment sharing that just two weeks ago is like the last thing that I can recall of like where I felt truly vulnerable sharing that. And again, it, it wasn't like I, you know, sat down and wrote this long, deep post to share to people and tell them, you know, how I've overcame adversity. It's like, no, it was it was caught in a moment. Somebody asked me a very yeah. real, true question. Uh, it, it, it hit me right in the heart. It was hard to say. And I did like uh, that to me is vulnerable. And I and I try and I try and allow vulnerability to come out organically like that. I don't, I don't, I mean, I, you're obviously a listener of the show, so you know, like, I, we don't talk about my dad's suicide very yeah. much. I mean, if, you, if you've listened to all thousand episodes, you can count on one hands. I've probably met many people don't even know. Um, yeah. I, I, mm-hmm. if you, you, a lot of people don't know that I grew up in a, a verbally and physically abusive house. They don't know a lot of those things because I don't go around sharing those things as a way of vulnerability. But if you ask me, you know, if you ask me a direct question, uh, I am an open book and I will share those things that are scary or vulnerable. And and to me, uh, that's the way you want vulnerability to unfold is it, don't worry. It'll organically happen. There'll be plenty of times in your life where you will feel vulnerable and you will have the option to stay true to yourself and be authentic and and, and share what's on your heart and mind and open yourself up to criticism and, you know, people teasing you and you being okay with that and accepting that possibility. And you still put yourself out there and you don't need to manufacture any of it. You don't need to think about it. You don't need to try and do it. Uh, life will present uh, plenty of opportunities for you to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the best way to kind of put it. Um, so we're headed to the end um here um i wish we could talk more we could probably talk hours on this i love talking about this stuff um so i do the same three questions with every single guest to kind of end it um kind of just a quick little way of giving a nice little exit to you as a guest um so the first question is uh what three things do you think can summarize this podcast? If you had to give outcome. people three things to leave with, uh, what else did we in vulnerability? Awesome. Uh, the next one is uh, what the three books wow, and or three, podcasts you would you recommend? Don't listen to very everybody many either read or listen um, to. Let's see here. What are I have so many good books that uh, let's That's since fine. we're talking Absolutely. about this topic, I'll try and keep you close to these. Uh, How emotions are made 
incredible uh, neuroscience psychology book, a little heavy for somebody who's not into that. Uh, but boy, is that a game changer. It really, it, some of the stuff you heard me share is from the knowledge from that book of really understanding the way the brain works. And then as somebody who's a, a trainer and, and enjoys mechanics and understanding function, okay. I think when you're trying to overcome dark times, really, really understanding how your your computer, your brain operates can really give you some insight on what's going on and, and allow you to have better control of it uh, than just let it control you and dictate your emotions. So how emotions, uh, how emotions are made, I forget the author's name, um, but it's a neuroscience psychology book. It's an incredible book. Uh, another great book, one of my favorite books um, and authors, John C. Maxwell. Uh, I, think it, I think you can't go wrong reading any of his books. I've probably read 20 plus of his. Uh, one of my favorites and the very first one I ever picked up, and maybe that's why I'm biased to it, uh, is developing the leader within. So when we talk about today about emotional intelligence <laughs> and reflecting on yourself and, you know, owning like er everything is on you as a leader, uh, that book does a great job of diving into developing uh, the leader within. And what, so we said desired outcome. We said, uh, what did I say? Uh, vulnerability. And what's a good one on, what's a good vulnerability book? Hmm. That, uh, maybe ego is the enemy by Ryan holiday. That's a phenomenal book. I think that's, a, that's a great read for people. Um, yeah, that's three, right? What did I say? Yeah, developing the leader within, yeah. emo uh, how emotions are made, and ego is the enemy. Or a stay in the realm. If you like this conversation and you enjoyed that, those are three great books uh, to read to go even deeper dive into what we talked about. Yeah, yeah. I just actually got finished. Ego is the and, enemy, uh, and Holiday that was probably one of the best books I've ever ever read. In my life. <laughs> um, lastly, this is kind of uh, just a little bit of your time to shine. Uh, shameless plug yourself. Where can people find you? Uh, anything uh, no that you kind of want to just plug. I mean, what I actually tell people pump, is anything, don't buy anything from us. Your time to go. Uh, <laughs> go. Go and take advantage of everything that we have free. We've built our model off of that. Um, let me provide value <laughs> for you first. Uh, we have a ton of free content. In fact, if you're just now hearing me, you just drop into Mind Pump, you probably will never be able to consume all the free content that we deliver. Uh, subscribe to the blog. There's three to five a week that are going out that are incredible. Nope. Uh, go to mindpumpfree.com and download every free guy that you can. A ton of incredible free information. Go to Mind Pump TV on YouTube and subscribe to the YouTube channel and watch all the exercise demos and videos that we do in there. Subscribe to the Mind Pump podcast on YouTube, where is where we break down all the questions that we answer in the podcast question by question. So if you just want to hear one question answered and you, and a topic that you want, we've actually, we have an editor that breaks them all up so you can, they're easy, they're shareable and things that you can save that way. Um, what other free stuff uh, do we have? We have 30 days of free coaching on our website. So, and what we did there is we comprised what we thought were 30 of the most important things to share with a person that I was just meeting. So if we took ourselves as 
thinking like, okay, if this was a client and uh, they just met me, what topics would I cover in the first 30 days if I were to cram as much information for free in 30 days? What would it look like? That's our 30 days of free coaching uh, on the website. And then, of course, the podcast, you know, go to the podcast. You can find us on every single platform from Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, um, all of them. So you can find us on uh, any of those, Spotify, and look at the podcast. We also have a free app called Mind Pump Media. When you download that free app, it has a search bar that allows you to search by topics. So if there's any topic related to health and fitness, and we do do a lot of stuff that's related to the conversation we had, uh, if you want to hear more, you just put in whatever topic you're thinking, and then it will populate all the episodes and the timestamps where we discuss those topics. So uh, that's my that's my plug is I, I tell people to go get it, consume all of our free stuff. There's a ton of it. And uh, that was our goal. Our goal was to just <laughs> inundate people with so much good, free, valuable content that you can't help but love us. It's all good, yeah, man. That's yeah. You guys have so much. I'm still trying. I don't think I'll ever catch up on the podcast. It's too long. Um, but if you guys, one last thing, if you guys did like this episode, um, we really appreciate it if you take a screenshot and share it out. Um, <laughs> this is one of the, probably the best episodes ever made. Going to say that right on air. Um, one of the longest I've ever made. So thank you guys if you guys did tune in for the whole thing. Um, we really do appreciate it. And Adam, I appreciate you taking the time out. Number one, this was an incredible opportunity to have with you. Um, booked it a long time ago, so it was really exciting to finally get on air. Um, so thanks, Adam, again for coming on. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Ace of Spada podcast.